Sing out the jubilee with all the fire we can breathe. There might be some nature ambiance in this episode. The morning doves are making nests. Yes. It's my favorite time of year because I can pretend I'm like a prairie girl and I'm just opening up the house and... Oh, Snow White, like with the animals bringing the shawl to you and yeah, you can go frolic. Yeah, with the children running about and my apron on baking some biscuits or something. So I have this story about morning doves that I like to share. We lived in a townhome in Arlington, Virginia, back when we were living that life. And I was pregnant with our first... And we had this little, what are those called? The flower pots that are outside the window. It was like on a tiny balcony. It was like a fake balcony, but there was a window or there was a flower pot on the inside of it. I don't know what those are called. A hanging basket, but not. Yeah, something like that. So I had planted some flowers there because I was nesting. (laughs) Then morning doves came and made their own nest in my flower pot raised bed yeah and they destroyed the flowers because they used the parts for their nest and they laid eggs in it i was upset because (laughs) they destroyed my flowers and i had this whole aesthetic going and then you said something about them being a federally protected species i think it was you uh it wasn't me you had posted a picture of the dove on Instagram. Yes. And one of our friends saw Yeah, it. and someone responded saying, don't touch those eggs. That's a federally protected species. And it's actually a felony to harm or even just... Disturb. And then, so I started to look up the penalties for doing that. I'm like, well, what are they really going to do? You know? And so I looked up, yeah, it's a felony. Yeah, felony is defined by at least a year of jail time. And so at the time, I remember I was 22 weeks pregnant or 23. And I had been feeling the baby kick for several weeks at that point. What many people refer to as quickening, by the way. It's a very old term when you feel quickening, like bread quickening or dough quickening. That means that You can feel the baby moving inside you. People often use that when talking about abortion as like, eh, right about there is when I start to get uncomfortable with killing them because I can feel them Mm. inside me. Like long before we had sonograms, that's what people use. Just like, "Mm, maybe not anymore. Maybe. That's an ancient standard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So I was like, okay, it's a felony if I touch this bird egg. And then I looked at the state laws for abortion in Virginia. But one week ago, I could have killed my baby. And that would have been legal with no penalties. In fact, I would have been encouraged to do it. Yes, girl boss, go. Yeah, for your career. And it was mind-boggling to me how we value and don't value life of a bird versus a human. And this, the contradiction was insane to me. And it just, that moment exposed like how misaligned all of our priorities are. Yeah, there's a more recent example. I know we hadn't talked about this beforehand. Um, more and more is coming out about Tucker Carlson leaving Fox News. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are talking about a speech he gave at the Heritage Foundation. I don't know if it was last weekend or the week before. And one thing he said was about how all societies have, or a lot of societies have, child sacrifice in them. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what we're doing for our economy. Women are being told, oh, kill your baby so you can be a girl boss. And he's saying, that sounds like the Aztecs to me. I don't think he's that wrong, but there's a rumor that that's why he got fired, was putting it in that stark of terms. Too based for Fox? Seems so. Is Secession based off of Fox? Did we decide? Succession on HBO? Yeah. Yeah, it's loosely based on Rupert Murdoch and his family. But they weren't actually like conservatives, right? They were liberal Jewish family. I don't know if they're Jewish. I think they're Australian and they just have a media empire, maybe British. I don't even know. Okay. 
But they just own a bunch of media yeah. companies. And then Rupert Murdoch's in his 90s. So succession okay. questions come up. Well, and Fox News and Newsmax even, I think, had a COVID-19 vaccine mandate. That sounds right. So did Tucker get the get the jab? I would assume so. Huh. But he's kind of in that elite milieu even as he's criticizing right. the ruling class. Yeah, I remember like watching some YouTube video about his personal history and that he's actually just a rich kid from New England and his whole thing was that he wore bow ties for forever and that now he like panders to middle, lower, middle class Americans who he had an upbringing that's completely unfamiliar to them. Yeah, and I like him my most of the time, mm, like 80% of the time, I like what he says. I want to reserve judgment as far as the class thing goes. Yeah, he's the heir. I think it's to the Swanson TV dinner fortune. Oh, whatever. really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure that's his family. Um, But he's still talented as a broadcaster and even as a writer before. Yeah. People were saying, I think it was Matt Welch from Reason said that he was the reason, Tucker writing an article was the reason he didn't vote for George Bush. Hmm. Over like war mm. issues and something like that. He's a nice guy too. He's right, and it yeah. seems like he's a decent human being, even as you disagree with him politically here and there. I just the he's part of that. I don't know the JD Vance and the Josh Hawley when it comes to like nationalist economic policies. Yeah, he's I'm not into. well within the national conservatism sphere. Yeah, he made he had that whole episode, what, a year or two ago about how Elizabeth Warren is right. We need worker rights protection or something. Yeah, like he was endorsing her thesis about the two-income trap, which we talked a mm -hmm. little bit with Nick Freitas about. Mm -hmm. And he's more for government intervention in the economy to, quote-unquote, help people. Even though in the past he had been more libertarian on economics, he'll admit that he's changed his mind over the years. I think this is an unintentionally good transition to the other thing that we were going to mention up top. You were going to explain the mortgage thing. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded, and in the interim there was a big story. The Biden administration announced a policy through the, I think it's the Federal Housing Finance Agency. Uh, which oversees all the big federal mortgage guarantors, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They're mm -hmm. the ones, if you get a conforming loan, a conventional home loan, when you go to buy a house, it has to meet up with the standards set by these agencies. And those agencies are overseen by this FHFA. New rule says if you have good credit, I think it was a credit score over 680, and you put down... 20% or more in your down payment, they're going to charge you higher fees so that they can lower the fees for people with bad credit and lower down payments. Okay, we should probably explain what a credit score is, though, first. Because like, we see credit scores differently than a lot of other people see credit right. scores. And I don't know how much background you want. So Laura and I are big Dave Ramsey fans, but I actually disagree with his take on this particular Biden administration policy. Oh, wait. Well, what is Dave so Ramsey's take? So Dave Ramsey, big financial guy, wants everybody out of debt. His take was, this is a typical Washington, D.C. policy where they're saying they're doing this big thing to help poor people, but it actually doesn't do anything. And I agree with him as far as that goes. It's not that much money, but I've seen some estimates that say people buying an average priced house, which is now $360,000 with inflation, would pay on average $15,000 more over the course of the loan if you have a good credit score and you're subsidizing people with bad credit. I would rather have $15,000. Like, I was going to say, I, that's not chump change. I understand that's like $1,000 a year if you're doing the 15-year plan, but that aside, his main focus was that the, if you're waiting on Washington to change your life, you're going to be waiting until you die. They're not right. going to save you, Yes, which I grant. But it's kind of like why 
Well, it's kind of like the criticism that people had of Obama's tax policy back when he was president. They were saying, but President Obama, if you raise tax rates on the rich and on some of these businesses and other people that you're wanting to raise tax rates on, studies are showing that you're actually going to bring less revenue into the federal government. You're not going to raise as much yeah. money as we'll need to operate if you just raise these rates. And he said something to the effect of, well, it's not about maximizing revenue. I want a fair system. It's about redistribution. It's directionally right, even if it doesn't help the fiscal picture as much as another system might. In the same way that this new mortgage rule might not be a big deal, $15,000 over the course of a 30-year loan, whatever, I still resent the fact, and it's still unjust, in direction. They're saying if you work hard and you save your money and you put down at least 20%, which used to be the gold standard of this is a responsible person who's not going to default on this loan. We're not going to have to go take their house. They're going to punish you for that. So even if it's at the margin, even if it's 0.8 of a percent or whatever, it's still a bad approach to policy. It feels like, it feels like, Everything is everything is hard right now. It like for big financial achievements for middle class families, especially young families trying to get to that, you know, a new car or their first house or these big financial milestones. Mm-hmm. It feels like when you've had a bad day, like one of those days where just everything goes wrong, you know, you spill your breakfast on the floor, your socks don't match cuz you got dressed in the dark you went to bed too late and it feels like the commute home when someone cuts you off someone cutting you off is like a minor inconvenience in the grand scheme of things but it's that that's that drip 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 of the chinese torture technique it's just that drip that just sends you over the edge like i've seen a lot of people post about this and though it might seem minuscule Compared to other, pol- it's just a thousand dollars a year. But it's just a thousand dollars. A pie is made of crumbs. It's just a thousand dollars on top of another just one thousand dollars on top of another just one thousand dollars on top of another just nine percent sales tax on top of this other thing, and it's like all of these small justs are making financial success impossible. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and that's why I disagree with Dave Ramsey. It's We're already subsidizing low-income borrowers. We already have all of these rules in place so that they can get housing. This is just another one. In a million different ways, we're already doing that. Yeah. So this is just another political thing for Biden to say, oh, hey, look, I'm looking out for the little guy. Here's an example. But that's where I disagree because who, well, then who is the little guy? Because people cannot afford 20% down on a house. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. I mean, average, everyday hardworking Americans can't afford 20% down on a $360,000 house. What is that? I mean, they're saving for a longer time, for sure. What is that? $80,000? yeah. $90,000? People can't afford a $400 emergency at any given moment. And so that's when you get into the bigger conspiracy about COVID being a time to reimagine capitalism and the whole World Economic Forum Great Reset stuff. So the theory out of that was you won't own anything and you'll be happy. So we'll just all be renters. And there are a lot of people or other studies are saying, oh, millennials aren't buying homes. They're not starting families. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't unless we went into investment banking or whatever. But Mm -hmm. that's hyperbole, but you get the point. A lot of that is by design. And it's not like from the top down, oh, yes, we're going to expropriate them. I think it's people are living longer. Boomers have most of the housing stock. And we're just waiting for that churn. What? We're just waiting for them to die. A lot of it for... You can just say that. Well, and, <laughs> but beyond that, the population keeps increasing. There are more restrictions on developing new housing, not just apartment buildings, even single-family homes. It's hard mm-hmm. to build now, harder to build now, and there's a chronic shortage of housing mm-hmm. in the market. So that's already creating higher prices in addition to inflation, in addition to wage growth not happening. And now we have AI that's disrupting other industries than we expected. And COVID did so much too. I 
there's it feels like the walls are closing in from all directions because even just we're shopping for a minivan right now we said we weren't going to talk about it but there it is we're shopping for a minivan right now so we're like did this plunge into the used car market which is absolutely freaking insane right now still so you have this chip shortage which is affecting new car manufacturing and then you're talking about the the housing supply shortage but also during covid with lumber they were like fast feeding trees or something like that so the lumber that came out of the covid shortage is actually weak wood or there's some story about that i don't the details i'm big on right now do you remember what i'm talking about some of our friends in the construction industry are saying they would be hesitant to buy a home built in the last few years because the quality of the lumber is lower it was either imported from china or other countries with less yeah. Um, rigorous standards, or it was from these trees that were grown in a different way. They're not right. as sturdy. Right. Yeah. And so, like, how how random is that? So then you have this chip shortage, you have this lumber issue. So even if you wanted to build a new house and you could afford it and all of the others, you've got these things that you run into. So then even if you can afford a new car or a used car or whatever, that market is also being suffocated, like, because of this chip shortage and so feels like every yeah. d- everywhere you look government has messed something up and is making things harder yeah if they didn't cause the initial problem in the first place they're prolonging it or making mm-hmm. it worse and so we're looking at minivans that are the, from the same year as our 11 year old car and, and we're probably gonna pay the same price if not more than what we did for this car when we bought it five years ago yeah but that's the well and let's get into our theory so part of the reason we think is because the demand for minivans is going to come from those people with families with two or probably more kids Mm -hmm. and there are fewer of those now Mm -hmm. and so the demand is shifted oh and oftentimes those families are going to have less disposable income so they're going to be looking for that used honda or toyota and those two brands only like maybe they want a town and country but a lot of people are seeking after what has a reputation of being the best quality of car yeah or toyota especially if you're going used you're going to want mm-hmm. something that you know is going to last all right this will go 400,000 miles or yeah, Whatever. and so when you see it has 150,000 miles on it, you're okay mm-hmm. if it's a Odyssey or a Sienna. And so there's a very distinct part of the population all fighting over this small group of vehicles, and they're even That's harder to find. It's a limited supply yeah. because all of the 2010 Honda Odysseys are already made. Right. Then The number of those available is finite. Yes. We are literally looking at a van, the one that we have narrowed down. I had to make this like my job for a f- several days, just hunting down vans because I would call a dealership about a van that was listed and they'd say, yeah, it's already bought. I've already got someone looking at this. No, I can't come down on the price because someone just offered me like that listing price, which was obviously is always Hi. inflated. Right. Yeah. So the one that we looked at, they had just gotten as a trade in one business day beforehand and it hadn't even been put on the lot i called about it without seeing pictures of it and he said this hasn't even been through our service department yet and we had we put earnest money down on it before it even went through the service department we're obviously going to have our own mechanic check it out for a third-party inspection but it feels like the housing market during covid when people were offering fifty thousand seventy thousand dollars above asking price yeah like I have to become buddies with the salesmen at these dealerships and I'm giving them my number. I'm like, if you get anything in, please give me a call right away, like becoming friends with them. Well, we had even discussed that you found one on Facebook Marketplace that was obviously underpriced based on everything we had already seen. And we mm-hmm. were even considering offering him more. more so that he would wait and let us look at it because there were two people ahead of us in line when he ended up selling it. Yeah. But we were we even catch that one. willing to do that. But since we are trading in our cool card for the minivan, I really, I feel like I already went on Etsy and I bought these. Like, they look like little plants. So they're fake plants. And it's just like a little cork and then a little plastic plant that comes out the top. And then it comes with 
um, an essential oil that you can squeeze onto the cork and then you plug it into like the fan bar. The air vent. The air vent. You know, it's one of those things that you stick on the air vent. It's like a little decoration. And then when the air blows out, the car will smell like whatever the essential oil is. And then I also want to get, I have a whole plan, seat covers to like kind of dress it up. Yeah, you went full mom. And then, and then, um, when eventually I am interested in putting like maybe a 10 or a 12 inch sub in there. Yeah, we need those babies bouncing. Yeah. Um, just because when their friends are like, oh man, you guys have a gold minivan. I'll be like, yeah, check it out, bruh. And then I'll, you know, big sub woofer in the back. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, I mean, joking aside, it was a big sacrifice for you. We had always talked about buying a Toyota Sequoia or a Land Cruiser. Mm-hmm. And here we are <laughs> with a minivan. We realized we would rather put 50000 down on a house. Yeah. I think parents just get so worn down. You're just so tired. And eventually... You get worn down enough and you're prioritizing convenience over everything. And so like the aesthetic and the vibes, they really just become more irrelevant every single day that passes (laughs) and every single night you don't sleep. So it's like, yeah, just get the minivan. Who cares? If I can open the doors and the kids can load themselves up, like the amount of stress that that reduces is worth worth every person who thinks that I'm a chump on the highway. Well, and not even that. From the financial aspect, it's going to get us into a house years sooner. Mm-hmm. And that'll be better for all of us. Yeah. And so we sacrifice looking cool at the stoplight Yeah. for a few years <laughs> so that we can get a Sequoia later on and then we'll be balling. We can get the XLE package or whatever. Oh, no, I want the... um. Wait, what is it, the ones that I like? G-Wagon? Yes. Yeah, the Mercedes. Yeah, yeah $110,000, I think. Before inflation. I read those, and it was like sex on wheels. <laughs> Welcome to episode 17 of Free State Podcast. We are going to have something more sophisticated to say here. Eventually. come up with it, yeah. On social, it says husband and wife duo invite listeners into their end of the day couch conversations to discuss how to be free people in an increasingly hostile culture. But that's kind of too much of a mouthful. I want something more succinct. I don't know what it is yet. You want us to say something like that at the top? Yeah, like I want us to have like a tagline or something. A catchphrase. Because we do the cold open which is unconventional, kind of. I mean, I... Yeah, I guess Red Scare says we're back. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of younger podcasts do the cold open. But I do like the more traditional introduction structure. Chopo Trap House plays their theme song. And then it says, Hey, it's your Chopo for insert date here. I'm Will Miniker with whoever's on the pod that week. Do our listeners know who Chapo Trap House is? They should. It's just as big on the left as Ben Shapiro is on the right. Oh, okay. I was really surprised to hear our babysitter say the other day that, quote, I don't take birth control anymore because of what it does to your brain. She said that? Yeah. And I was like, it is crazy how fast public opinion can change. Like... It doesn't for the longest time. And then all of a sudden, in the matter of like a few years, you know, what is it? Like the six months, all all it takes for a conspiracy theory to come true is six months or whatever the, yeah. the thing is. Because if you would have said that to someone, this girl's in college. So if you would have said that to some 19-year-old girl like 10 years ago, hey, did you know that hormonal birth control is actually horrible for you and changes the chemical structure of your brain and makes you a psycho while you're on it they'd be like you're crazy yeah you're probably also an (laughs) anti-vaxxer yeah or a christian zealot or whatever yeah yeah but now it's totally fine and common and you sound you know informed 
if you say birth control messes with your brain. I wonder if she read, there's a new book, Making the Rounds, by a British lady named Mary Harrington. Mm-hmm. Feminism Against Progress. Mm. And she was on a mm. podcast, I think it was Red Scare, and she was saying the birth control pill is evil for that reason. Yeah. And that to really have true feminism in her sense of the word, I don't know if she calls herself a reactionary feminist. I don't know what all these words mean. Yeah. She was saying people are going to have to reject the pill because the pill was the thing that the liberationist feminists were pushing for to claim that men and women were interchangeable. You had to get rid of the whole maternity thing. Oh. And it was the first, like, she calls it cyborg feminism. You (laughs) try to re-engineer the body. Yeah. And that was the first big technological innovation to try and blur that distinction between the sexes. So just make yourself psychotic. Yeah. For the sake of being... Trade-offs. Like, quote, equal. But then all the writing about the patriarchy, you would think men were psychotic, right? Mm -hmm. So you just make yourself a man, and then we're all the same, right? So then... Where I'm going with this is, I want to tread carefully because I want to save this for a whole episode. (laughs) But now it's fine to be like a COVID vaccine skeptic. So then I'm just wondering how long until routine childhood vaccine skeptics are just informed people. Well, that was a big worry when there was vaccine hesitancy at the height of the pandemic. They were worried that that would bleed over to other vaccines. Yeah, but it's still not like accepted. If oh you no! Go into your average group of normies and say something like, "Hey, did you know that the MMR vaccine is uh, highly toxic?" But would we be having this conversation but for COVID? No. That's their point. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have thought about it until then. Mm-hmm. We didn't think about it. Do we want to say that? We'll just we'll save. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> So in today's episode, we are going to talk about, what are we going to talk about? Gay dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Gay dinosaurs. Mm. And the importance of same-sex friendships. And thank you guys for all of the good feedback on the Nick Freitas episode. People loved that. I think, is that our top pod so far? Pretty sure. Let me check. I mean, we got tons of messages saying this was my favorite podcast so if you haven't listened go back and listen to episode 15 with our friend delegate nick freitas we talk about how to escape the two income trap we talk about homeschooling family lifestyles and basically the things you need to think about to claw your way out of what is normal yeah and then episode 16 was part two of our special edition that jace has been recording called Who's Your Daddy, going, trying to explore the implications of the fertility industry for life. Because we found out who Jace's bio dad really was in 2021, and it's been quite a journey since then. And we have ideas about future episodes along those lines, but we'll continue to have them in their own special category. Maybe I'm just too close to it. But I was when I was making the edits for episode 16 with you and Randy, I was like, what's the word? Encapsulated? In, in, Engrossed? Engro- enraptured? I don't know. Yeah. My recall it is captured, so bad. It captured your attention. I was engrossed. We'll go with that one. So if it were me, I would recommend... What did it say? Enraptured is... Uh, it's like sexual. Give intense pleasure or Ooh. joy to. Uh, I don't know that you liked it like that, but no, you I were <laughs> engaged. You no, definitely not that one. Intrigued. I was intrigued, yes. Okay. You were distracted from doing the job you were trying to do because you were trying to listen to because the Because I was so interested in the storyline, yeah. yeah. So go back and listen to part one of the special edition, Who's Your Daddy? It's only 14 minutes long, so go do that first and then listen to the part two, which was episode 16. And Jace interviews his half-sister, Randy, that he discovered through the 23andMe app when she messaged us late one night a couple summers ago saying, oh, hey, it looks like we have the same donor dad. Was that a good pitch? I thought that was good. Yeah, it was. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening to those and for sending in your emails and comments. That helps keep us accountable and gives us ideas for new shows. So if there's anything you agree with or disagree with that we're saying, please don't hesitate to send us a message either on Instagram or our email, freestatepod at gmail.com. Or now that Anchor's rebranded as Spotify for Podcasters, I think you can still find the place to leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash freestate. And like I said last time, if there's any way that you want to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is to just share it with a friend or a family member. Send them a link to your favorite episode. Usually I find that works best instead of just sending them to a profile. Send them to a particular episode that you like. Write down the minute marker, send them to that. Hey, start here. I think you'd like this discussion. Sounds like what we talked about the other day, whatever. Um, spreading the word that way is the best thing you can do. We really appreciate you taking the time. Besides the five-star ratings in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that helps us with the algorithm side. But to really grow the audience, it's all word of mouth. Thank you and enjoy. So you saw some gay dinosaurs? Dino Ranch is the show on Disney recommended for kids ages two to five, two to five years old. So little kids, not in school yet, preschool kids. Yeah, Disney Junior. Disney Junior. People are talking about it. It's a little old. Like the story's made its way around Twitter and TikTok now. But there was an episode where there were some gay T-Rexes. So the clip of the episode that's floating around social media is that there are two T-Rexes that want an egg. Yeah. So they, they, they want a child together. But the kids from Dino Ranch are confused because they're not sure why the dinosaurs are upset. And then eventually they put it together that they want their own egg. And they say, oh, well, we have an orphan egg that we could give them back at the ranch. And then they give them the orphan egg and the two dads put their heads together, the, the gate t-rexes put their heads together and they're like oh they're such good dads so that's the clip that's floating around social media Mm -hmm. the episode is called adoptosaurus rex and if you're not familiar with dino ranch which i wasn't until about 32 minutes ago except i the toddlers watched it a few times but i wasn't like really familiar with like the the background of the story sure so it's these kids these multicultural kids they all have different ethnic backgrounds national national backgrounds whatever yeah the right term is there um and they have a white dad and a black mom and they're all adopted these kids are oh okay yeah so this is like a central theme to the show gotcha is adoption mm-hmm. what cool yeah great actually please promote that um and they live on a ranch so they're like cowboys and they take care of dinosaurs instead of horses cute yeah like cool concept yeah but in this episode i just watched clips of it but the i don't know if the writers really thought this one through the t-rex dinosaurs are going around the ranch these gay t-rexes are going around the ranch like lurking around other parents and their children and the parents are getting upset, feeling threatened by these Tyrannosaurus rexes, these carnivorous like dinosaurs that are as tall as buildings. Mm-hmm. Like you've seen Jurassic Park. These parents are getting like suspicious and upset that they keep coming after their children. Like that's what the whole beginning of the episode is about. Oh, like they're trying to steal the kids? Yes. Like they're going around like sniffing people's eggs and like trying to steal people's children. Oh my. And I'm like, well, maybe this is like a Freudian slip. I don't know. <laughs> that was my George Takei impression. Sorry. Oh, my. So then eventually these two gay T-Rexes, the kids are following them around trying to figure out what's going on and why they're harassing people and their children. And then they look over the ledge and the two gay dinosaurs are like rubbing their heads together over a nest that they've built that looks like it has two eggs in it, but the eggs are actually rocks. Yeah. 
And so now not only are the gay dinosaurs I'm harassing people and their children, but they also have psychiatric issues because they have like phantom pregnancy or whatever the equivalency is to that phantom phantom children yeah. in these eggs. So now the writers are suggesting that gay people are predators and mentally ill. And then the kids put it together. Oh, they want an egg. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so they hatch this brilliant idea to give these two carnivorous dinosaurs that have been harassing children their own egg. Yeah, from some other Yeah, from some species, other, yeah. yeah. And then, so in order to do that, when the kids approach their fake eggs, the rocks, the Tyrannosaurus rexes come after them, well, the children. Naturally. Yeah, because they feel threatened just like everybody else. So one of the kids pretends to be a baby T-Rex to distract them while they go place the real egg in their nest. Okay. So then one of the T-Rexes starts licking the fake baby T-Rex. The story is so whack. Like, I, they wrote it. This is supposed to be like uh, grooming children to be fine with LGBT stuff, but it's like... Yeah, pro-diversity. Yeah, why yeah. did you do it this way? Anyway, so it's licking the fake, the, di- the, the diversion, and then they go place the egg, and then they love the egg, and then they're like, oh, look, they're great daddies. Yeah. Well, and if you weren't so cynical, maybe you would see that it was a metaphor for taking care of the fake T-Rex. It wasn't a Dalai Lama kind of thing. But it reminds me of that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Hero or Hate Crime. It's my favorite episode of the show by far. And the setup is one of the characters is walking down the sidewalk and there's a piano that's going to fall out of a window and land on him and kill him. And so another character yells across the street a slur against him. Mm-hmm. A derogatory word for oh. someone who's gay to get his attention and make him move out of the way of his piano. And he does, and it saves his life. So then the question is, are you a hero or did you commit a hate crime by yelling this word? I see a parallel here with Dino Ranch. They're trying to make the social justice message come out, but they keep butting up against reality, right? And that you're just looking at me saying, oh, I'm going to dig myself out of this. Um, what do they keep butting up against? <laughs> Oh, there was this one other thing that I wanted to add about the dinosaurs. Um, When I was reading about this episode, I was curious about the true nature of T-Rexes historically, like how they behaved. And, And I've also heard people say, like, as a defense of homosexuality among humans, that, well, in nature, there are animals to have found to display homosexual tendencies, right? So just side bit. But so I was looking up what t-rexes were actually like in real life and like dolphins turns out they are actually like they just go around like slaughtering their own children but we all think that they're these super cute fish that that we can ride on in captivity and be fine anyway so (laughs) i was researching the true nature of tyrannosaurus rexes and it turns out there was the study that was published in 2009 that was widely covered by the media and one of the headlines covering this study reads that T-Rexes were known as, quote, prolific baby killers, and that archaeologists had discovered some coprolite, some fossilized poop from T-Rexes, and in it was intact skeletons of a different species of dinosaur that this T-Rex had devoured whole, and this wasn't some one-off thing. T-Rexes did this often. So in real life, these carnivorous predators just went around eating people's other dinosaurs' babies whole and so it's accurately reflected in the show that these other moms and dads (laughs) would be scared when the t-rexes came around their children and it's just like the writers didn't think about this irony at all the whole reason there's a debate it's not like some knee-jerk bigotry or bible thumping or whatever Mm -hmm. when we talk about kids programming we're trying not to turn on the tv at all right yeah like ideally we would be doing analog activities with the boys, teaching them to read, 
involving them in the mundane chores of the house, cleaning up, cooking, whatever. But to the extent that we turn on the TV, it's to give them some entertainment, maybe some more educational supplementation, tr- do ease transitions, whatever. We're trying to be intentional about it. We don't want to have to watch every single episode of every single thing that no. we turn on for them. And so we don't want to have to worry about counter-programming yeah. all the time. I mean, it's to get around that, I guess we could get VeggieTales DVDs from the 90s and just watch that, and that would be fine. But I also don't want to do that. It's not like they're going to say, on this special episode of Dino Ranch, like the in the 90s whenever there would be hot-button topics like drug abuse or bullying or whatever they'd say, on this special episode of Boy Meets World or whatever, and there'd be a little bit of a trigger warning. I'm not asking for that. And of course they wouldn't do that because the whole point of including gay dinosaurs is to say that this is normal and okay mm-hmm. and we should all praise and support this. My problem is that is not going to show my boys the ideal way to live, right? right? They don't have a concept of what happiness or fulfillment is yet. Mm-hmm. And I know it's my fault for outsourcing any kind of that development to the TV. But I want kids shows to just live in the ether without having to get into issues like that. And it seems like they used to be able to. And I know the counter argument is, well, well, that's because they assumed your worldview. Well, fine. I like my worldview. One thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, when we went to the mall a few weeks ago to look for some pants. Yeah. And when we were at the mall, I saw two cute teenage girls. They were probably 15. There are a lot of those in the mall. 15-ish. Yeah. Yeah, like what you would envision when you think about shopping at the mall and like Claire's and whatever. Except for they were holding hands. Which used to be okay. So that's where I'm going with this. But it was obviously they were together. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they were really together. That was going to be my question. Like so, they were just doing that right. for everyone else. They weren't really together. And I think about these kids, like such an, inf- everything has to be sexually intimate. Everything has to be romantic anymore. It feels like yeah. we have completely lost any sort of emphasis or priority on friendship. Yeah. And especially with children, I'm thinking about the older children's shows, Toy Story. What's Toy Story all about? In Toy Story 3 or 4, when they're all in the, they're at the dump and they're all sliding toward the incinerator, Mm -hmm. all the toys are, and they realize that there's no way out. And it's one of the sweetest moments in that series of shows. They all just look at each other and they accept their fate and they say, okay, you know what? We can't get out of this one. No one's going to save us. What do we do in our final moments? They all just grab each other's hands and they hold on to each other. And it's like, I love you. We're in this together. But it's not sexual. No. It's not romantic. We're friends. Yeah. And there is a deep instinctual yearning in humans for true soulful friendship. I knew this was going to happen. You getting upset? Yeah. It's okay. No, it's important. I was wondering how many episodes it would take for me to cry. I'm so weepy today, too. And I think about my closest friend in my life. And I think about how when my mom was in the ICU... And the doctor told us that she had a 30% chance of living. I remember it's not in my nature to be a super vulnerable person in real life. So I try to go to private to have these moments. And I remember I went outside to accept that my mom was dying. And I had just had a baby four months ago and I didn't live at home. And it felt like everything changed after I moved away and I was accepting all of this like all at once. She came outside and found me, and I didn't tell her where I was, but she found me, and she held me, 
and I was screaming and I was crying. It was humiliating, but it was real and raw. And there's something different about it not having been you. Yeah. And this friend has known me and my mom for longer than you've known me and my mom. Mm-hmm. And women need sisterhood and men need brotherhood. And we're not complete without those things. I agree. And since we've become so distant from truth and just understanding the nature of our soul and what it needs and how to feed it and how to take care of it, we've completely just abandoned the 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 importance of friendship and how critical that is. You have to have that. You have to have family, but sometimes family fails you. And what you can put, not in total place, it's not congruent with family, but it's pretty damn close is friendship. Yeah, you have to have friends. And I'm not talking about, you know, the person that you just like, the buddy that you see once every few months or the guy at work or whatever. I'm talking about a friend that can hold you when you're trembling because your mom's dying. Yeah, not the guy online that you share memes with. Someone you can call at 3 a.m. if you have to take your wife to the hospital or you were in a bad part of town and you get a flat tire and you're just in a place where you can't fix it. You need friends in your life. And I don't know why we can't teach our children about that anymore and especially such young children who don't have mature romantic feelings. So yeah. we, don't, we don't need to expose them unnecessarily or, or, or groom them to like desire those yet why don't we just let them enjoy their childhood and one of the biggest things about childhood is is developing those friendships that hopefully last for the rest of their life and and learning about friendship will set a foundation for those romantic relationships later on in life because friendship can start to show you what it is like to unconditionally love someone yeah i agree and i think this all comes out of arguably a good place. People were concerned that there were not diverse representations in media, whatever. They were concerned that in society there were groups of people that were discriminated against, looked down on, mistreated. And so they believe that this is their way to fight that injustice. So people are being mistreated. We're going to tell these stories and then maybe people won't be mistreated but I think the pendulum might have swung too far the other way. Because you can say to treat everybody equally and with respect without then going so far as to question every kind of same-sex friendship or add that ambiguity and weirdness to where if men show vulnerability with other men, it's automatically, oh, you gay. Right, right. Like that puts up real barriers when the main thing that's driving the suicide epidemic is loneliness. I I wonder if this drive is making that just that much harder. Yeah. Just like with the mortgage discussion, it's not the end-all be-all. It's not that the gay T-Rexes are making it to where my kids aren't going to be able to have friends. But it's another rock in the backpack that makes it harder for Mm -hmm. them to make those bonds. And that's why I think it's upsetting more than anything. Yeah. Why couldn't those girls at the mall just have been friends? I mean, I think it's because... We just keep telling in every scenario, in every example, we tell our children um, same gendered relationships have to be intimate, uh, romantically so. Yeah. And. Or at least in the drive to say that it's okay, it goes over into and it's even better than well, friendship. And, and then you should want that. right? And when you're 14, you're going to say, well, I love this girl. Do sure. I in a romance do i am i a lesbian mm-hmm. why are kids why are we giving them that burden yeah and i think that's the right way to put it why are we unnecessarily complicating the patterns that they're trying to figure out yeah and that's not to say everyone has to live in the same way and everybody's the same and i don't think that's how it was in the past either but i yeah, I don't want to repeat myself. I think you can go too far the other way. If being gay or queer or whatever is so ingrained in our nature, then why don't we let kids come to that on their own? Yeah. If it's truly so emergent in nature, then why don't we just let them come to that on their own? Why do we have to, you know, be saying, oh, well, if you feel this way, you could be 
Yeah. LGBTQI. The argument would be that because in the past they would have been suppressed. So now you have to encourage. We're not talking about suppression, though, either. Right. No, I agree with you. I'm trying to come up with what someone from the other side would be saying right now. Yeah. Aside from screaming, which is usually what happens in these (laughs) conversations. Sorry, I was sitting on that for a long time. I knew that was going to be like charged when I. No, that was good. Told that story. I see a lot of people actually in, you know, with all the drag stuff. I've seen a lot of people post, you know, we were fine with drag queens, drag shows, drag culture until you made it about the kids. And I tend to agree with that. Like, I grew up, you know, having a vague idea that some people, some men dressed up like women (laughs) with dramatic makeup at night and fake boobs and long sparkly gowns. And that was like a thing that some people did. Well, but now I'm wondering if you're even allowed to say that. Is it what? What? is transvestism still a thing or is it like all transgender? Or is it one of those no. Venn diagram things like some men dress in drag and yeah. some of those are also trans women? This is not trans. Okay. The way like I'm talking about like old school. Oh, no, I know. Like the birdcage or something. I think we cut this from an earlier episode, but when we talked about 90s lesbians... Yeah, like construction worker kind of like stereotype. I love '90s lesbians. Yeah, like with the butch haircut. Is can I say that word? I think so. Okay, I'm with not... the butch haircut and like they know how to change a tire. Yeah, competent. Yeah, like played softball. Like big fan. Okay. Um, drags in a similar way are different than trans because these are just this is just a hobby for these men but oh but you're saying this is the manifestation of a suppressed identity i don't well i wasn't making it that complicated but i've seen so with all the discussion about dylan mulvaney and the bud light any tissue sorry i cried i gotta go in one minute okay so i'll just make this point with all the discussion of dylan mulvaney and the bud light thing there's been a stupid term I've seen come out and it's called woman face. So to make a parallel on blackface. Okay. And some critics of the trans movement or drag are saying that the people who do the drag shows or the Dylan Mulvaney's are doing woman face. Mm. Like they go over the top with the female stereotype of the fifties housewife with the makeup and the, dresses and yeah. whatever the opposite of what you're saying about the 90s lesbians who are also women right so that's another aspect that hmm. we can talk about yeah he was talking about dylan mulvaney was talking about quote putting lotion on his boobies in some ad on instagram and i was like i have never put lotion on my t- we're singing all day and you can't tame it i